Hello, and thanks for listening to Theory Lab, the American Cancer Society's research podcast, hosted by Dr. Susanna Greer. I'm Joe Cotter, and our guest today is a colleague of ours at ACS, Dr. Leticia Nogueda. She's senior principal scientist in the data science group, and she got her PhD in molecular biology at the greatest university in the world, University of Texas at Austin. But that's not why she's here. We're here to talk climate change and cancer. She has carved out a pretty cool niche. She also, as a researcher, investigates determinants of health disparities in the cancer care continuum. And she looks at you know how it can be addressed by policy changes. But in the last couple of years, she's conducted some pretty interesting research on, starting in 2019, association between declared hurricane disasters and survival of patients with lung cancer undergoing radiation treatment. Uh, for that, she was kind of using NCI database data to estimate associations between hurricane disasters, which can disrupt electrical power, right? And how that affected the survival of patients undergoing uh, radiotherapy. And then earlier this year in 2020, she put out a paper called Climate Change in Cancer in CA, a cancer journal for clinicians. Uh, so let's start real quick. Here's Leticia talking about how she first got into this line of research. I was working at the Texas State Health Department, and that was when Harvey hit. And I was in charge of the emergency response because I was in Austin and um, mainly the data collection part. You know, I wasn't dispatching teams or anything like that, but I was collecting all the data. And it became very clear. It had never occurred to me either, the impact that that was having on the hospitals. And of course, Houston has MD Anderson and Baylor, all these big cancer centers. And we had contacted them before, asked them for their emergency plan. They had it, they had the backup generators. And then Harvey just hit in a completely different way, right? And he flooded their generators. This is all true, like I was there. <laughs> and the patients couldn't get there. And then if they did, the doctors couldn't be there. And then if they did, there was no power. It was just, it was terrible. About two months after that, I took the job at ACS and it was one of those things that just, commuting to work and he hey, like I wonder if I can actually look at this in an empirical way and that's when I started um, trying to find you know what kind of research questions we could ask that would really show this association because nobody thinks of it now that it came out there's so much more that's building on it. it's like what are you going to do about wildfires what are you going to do about floods I'm like oh whoa suddenly everybody's interested it was kind of crazy Okay, with that, let's go ahead and get on into the interview. This is Dr. Susanna Greer talking with our colleague, Dr. Leticia Nogueda, about climate change and cancer. Good morning, Leticia. How are you? I am good. How are you? I am doing well, and I'm so excited to talk to you. This is such a timely topic for our podcast because we are experiencing so many climate driven weather events in the United States right now, from hurricanes to fires. So if you're ready, we're going to dive in. Yes. All right. So one area of expertise for you is the impact of climate change and how we control cancer and how we prevent cancer. So that is something that I think many of us don't think about all the time. So help us understand, how does climate change increase our cancer risk? 
Yes, so climate change can increase cancer risk because it changes the frequency and the behavior of these extreme weather events we are seeing right now. And extreme weather events such as hurricanes and wildfires can release carcinogens into communities, and that will, of course, increase cancer risk for the residents. Okay, well, that makes perfect sense. So I, I mentioned that this is an interesting time for our country in many ways, but, but it does seem like we have had an abundance of examples. We have wildfires right now in the western part of the United States. We've had hurricanes in the Gulf. But could you share maybe some examples of how extreme weather has changed our exposure to carcinogens? Um, maybe just examples over the past few years. Of course, yes. So. Hurricane Harvey, for example, when it hit Houston in 2017, it flooded chemical plants, oil refineries, Superfund sites in the area, and those released large amounts of carcinogens into the surrounding communities. And the main thing with Harvey was that unprecedented rain, and that was more likely to occur because of climate change. More recently, as you mentioned, we had Hurricane Laura hit the Gulf, and that caused an industrial fire in a chemical plant in um, chemical factory in Louisiana, also releasing carcinogens into the community. Climate change can, can also fuel longer wildfire seasons and make wildfires more frequent and larger. So the current, the current wildfires in California and in other Western states are releasing large amounts of particulate matter and other carcinogens into the atmosphere. So these are some of the more recent examples of how these extreme weather events are releasing carcinogens in the environment. Oh, gracious. So I, I never even really thought about it, but you're exactly right that all the, the rain that can really inundate a community can change exposures. And certainly if you think about impacts on chemical factories you mentioned, which might be either destroyed by rain or, as you mentioned, impacted by a fire and then you have increased release of carcinogens into the environment and, and of course, um, the particulate matter from wildfire. So it seems like that's a really long list of, mm -hmm. uh, of, right, all of these changes in exposures. Okay, so that all makes sense. So on the other side of your area of expertise is a consideration of how climate change and all of these weather events can change cancer care and access to care. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. Yeah, of course. So the cl climate change and these extreme weather events can make it harder for patients to access cancer care and also for the treatment facilities, the cancer treatment centers to deliver care. So as you can imagine, any damage to infrastructure, it can be roads, transport, transportation, communication, electricity, they can all limit patient and provider mobility and their ability to access the facility. And it also can impact the hospital's ability to function if there is no power and there's damage to the building. That's well, interesting. So we tend to think about when you have these extreme events, impacts, and I, I, it's probably just because it's what you see on the news as far as your personal property being damaged, but you're exactly right. Infrastructure and hospitals and clinics where cancer patients and others would go to be treated can also be damaged as well. Are there, are there examples that you know about of weather events that have actually changed 
the ability of an a maybe a geographic area to offer cancer care because of damage to infrastructure. Yes, of course. So Harvey again is a good example. Hospitals in the Houston area had been through hurricanes before, right? It was not their first time and they thought they were prepared. They had backup generators in case they lost electricity. They were trying to be proactive and be prepared for this. But as we mentioned, it was the rain that Harvey brought that really impacted the area. And that was partially due to climate change. So the rain caused flooding and it made it impossible for patients to get to cancer treatment centers for days. And even if the patients had found a way to reach the facilities, the specialized staff that needs to be there to deliver care might not have been able to make it to work, right? And even if they did, many of the facilities were struggling with loss of power because their backup generators got flooded. So this is one example of how climate change and the resulting change that it brings to the frequency and the behavior of extreme weather events can make it harder for communities to prepare and to respond to these disasters and how that especially impacts cancer patients. Wow, and those, those are things that we all saw on the news, right? We all saw that horrible flooding that came from Harvey and just the, the rain that kept coming and coming and coming. And you're right, we were thinking primarily, I think in that moment of the safety of individuals who were suffering through that situation, but you're exactly right. In, in Within that population were both patients and care providers who needed to get to hospitals. And then, as you said, even if they could get there, once they were there, they may have found an infrastructure that was damaged or didn't have power to the point that the care they needed to receive couldn't be offered. Exactly. So, ugh, what a tough situation. So, I, I think you've given some great examples of how climate change can really impact the ways in which a cancer patient is navigating their disease and can then impact survival because it can change the way a cancer patient accesses care and then it can also, as you said, change the way that care is delivered. So maybe we could focus on the cancer patient themselves. Can you help us to understand why cancer patients would be especially vulnerable to the effects of natural disasters on their care? Yes, so cancer patients, especially those with advanced cancer, as we know, this is a terrible and very aggressive disease. And even a short interruption in cancer treatment can give the tumor an advantage, and that can worsen the patient's chance of survival. So last summer, we actually published a study that showed that lung cancer patients, when their facility, the facility where they were receiving treatment, was impacted by a hurricane, had worse survival than very similar patients who were treated at the exact same facility, but at a time when no extreme weather event hit. So this is really about giving the tumor a leg up when we're fighting cancer on a, on a patient by patient level. Yeah, it's so interesting. You're right that cancer is unlike many diseases in that it is very much a race. Mm -hmm. a right, a race that the patient and the care team is racing against a tumor and delayed treatment can give uh, a significant advantage to a growing tumor. So, so what can cancer patients do if, if you are, maybe, certainly I think if you're in an area which is disaster prone, and we can maybe think about the West or the Gulf Coast, um, mm -hmm. but, but maybe for any of us, um, what 
can cancer patients and their families do to be prepared if a natural disaster strikes? Um, I think that'd be really interesting for our listeners to know. Of course, yes. So there is no disaster preparedness guidelines that is specific for cancer patients. But this, this, the CDC has some helpful guidelines for anyone who is preparing for a natural disaster, right? And they include uh, having an emergency supply kit, locating the nearest shelter, gathering important documents, and those, of course, include medical documents. For cancer patients specifically, what they can do, I believe, is asking their cancer care provider and the facility where they're going to receive treatment very early, as early as possible during their treatment, what are the resources that the facility have in place? Uh, do they have, can they have access to their treatment plan in case they need to evacuate? Can, do they have the ability to transfer to another facility? Uh, what, what would their insurance look like? So all of these are important questions that cancer patients should ask very early, even if it's not hurricane season, so that when something happens, they are prepared. It sounds like planning is key. Yes. And perhaps planning for events that you might even might never consider would be a possibility for your area. Yes, even uh, something like COVID is something nobody saw coming, right? And it did impact uh, patients' ability to reach their treatment. Yeah, absolutely. And and we're still experiencing delays um, as different cancer centers navigate the pandemic and address issues around safety and providing care to cancer patients and other patients and then patients who are fighting COVID. So you're right, certainly none of us would have predicted being in a pandemic, um, but having a plan for how we will make decisions when whatever the disaster strikes, um, I think would bring some reassurance to everyone. Exactly. So on the flip side, one of the things that you shared early on, which was really interesting, was all of the potential structural changes and damage that can happen to a cancer care facility during a national natural disaster. So are there ways that cancer care facilities can actually make themselves more resilient to the threats of climate change? Yes. So many of the things cancer cancer care facilities can do to make themselves more resilient are included in the emergency preparedness requirements that was posted by the Federal Register back in 2016. They recommended the facilities do a risk assessment evaluation using an all-hazards approach. So this would include any um, disasters that are likely to occur in the area. It could be floods, wildfires, hurricanes. And then they have to plan a coordinated response that includes other facilities in the area and the community so that they can um, correctly meet the health and the safety needs of their patient population. So some of the things that they suggest the facilities do include identifying patients that are at risk or have low mobility or um, having patient transfer agreements in place so that when disaster hits, you're prepared. I really love that. And I, I love how synergistic that can be with a patient-led response plan, where if as a patient is thinking about, okay, here here are the treatments that I have over the coming days, weeks, and months. And I'm gonna go ahead and very early on prepare for a worst case scenario where I don't have access to care. And I'm gonna talk to my practitioner. If a practitioner and a 
facility is doing the exact same thing, is analyzing who's at risk, what are the risks, and here's what our response would be. It seems like those could come together in a really coordinated plan. Exactly. All right, so one of the things that I, I read about you and your work that I thought was really interesting that I've never thought about was how many patient touch points that cancer care delivery involves, and, and perhaps more than really any other disease that I could think about where patients are seeing multiple practitioners for lots of different types of interventions during their cancer journey. And because of that, cancer care is actually a large contributor to the overall U.S. healthcare carbon footprint. Mm -hmm. So can you tell us a little bit more about that, about the carbon footprint that's actually involved in cancer care? Yes, of course. And that, as you said, is not something that is immediately obvious when you think of cancer care and climate change, right? It's that it's almost a loop where the cancer care is also contributing to climate change. So, and this is also something cancer patients can ask about when they inquire about emergency preparedness. They can also ask their facilities, what are you doing to decrease your carbon footprint? And although nobody has calculated the exact carbon footprint of cancer care specifically, the healthcare system as a whole is the second most energy intensive industry in the US. So operating rooms, for example, consume large amounts of energy for ventilation, and then the anesthetic gases that are used in surgery can be thousands of times more potent than carbon dioxide as greenhouse gases. If you add to that, the emissions that are associated with transport, with waste of pharmaceuticals, medical devices, food, it's easy to understand why the carbon footprint of cancer care is very concerning. You know, that's so interesting. And I, you're right. I, not only did I never think about it, but I also never thought about what you suggested, which is that one of the things that cancer patients can do is to ask their healthcare providers, how, how are you contributing to climate change and what are you doing to mitigate those changes? So are there opportunities that, that maybe you've thought about to reduce this footprint of cancer care? Yes, yeah, so two of the top opportunities to, to reduce the carbon footprint of cancer care involve surgery, as we mentioned. So optimizing the operating room's ventilation so that it's based on occupancy and on demand instead of just running constantly, and also prioritizing the anesthetic gases so that the choices are based on their warming potential would be two of the most obvious top choices for diminishing the impact of cancer care on climate change. We can also work with suppliers, the facilities suppliers, um, and those include suppliers of medical device, devices, pharmaceuticals, and encourage them to estimate their carbon footprint and then prioritize the use of low emission supply chains. That would also be helpful. So as with most things around cancer, it really takes a village, right? So it takes so many people to accomplish the goal of bringing a cancer patient through their cancer journey. And I think that this space, this conversation around the impact of climate change on cancer care and cancer care delivery and access is something that we can all be interested in and try to be impactful on. So there are certainly advocacy groups like 
the ACS Cancer Action Network or ACS CAN that promote policies to mitigate the impact of climate change on cancer patients. So are there are there things we can do just as listeners, if, if this is something that's concerning to us and like me, this is a new area that we're just learning about and want to help, what can we do? Yeah, so listeners can definitely support these advocacy groups and uh, representatives that support the policies that both mitigate climate change and improve health, such as the Clean Air Act, for example. And this is where the good news are, because many of the drivers of climate change are also carcinogens. So think particulate matter, for example, it's pollution that is bad for your lungs and it's also contributing to climate change. several climate mitigation efforts that have health co-benefits and I think that that's one easy first step that listeners can take to support these policies and these advocacy groups to make sure that these uh, policies are in place and decrease both climate change and the detrimental health effects that these pollutants might have. I love that that you've highlighted for us that there is some really good news here and some co-benefits to all of us becoming more engaged in this space. Um, I'd really love to know, is there a part of your job that you would like to share? I think that your work is so interesting and something that not all of us think about all the time. Yeah, so what we're trying to do, I think that it is undeniable that climate change is caused by human activity and Usually all you hear are bad news and extreme weather events. And part of what we're trying to do is be really specific and evaluate how is that impacting cancer patients. And then also what we can do at every level, at the patient level, at the provider level, at the facility level, and at the policy level, to really try to find these low-hanging fruits and make a difference while we can. Well, we very much appreciate your efforts. Is there a message that you would like to share with our listeners? Many of our listeners are cancer patients or they're caregivers or individuals who've been impacted by cancer. Yes, I think that cancer is a terrible disease and just listening to the word cancer as a diagnosis can be traumatic in itself. I know that it's a lot to ask that people start thinking about the environmental impact of their cancer treatment. But I think that having this more big picture understanding of how your exposure to carcinogens and the health of uh, your entire community might be impacted by the healthcare system and by some of these policies really uh, just shows a bigger understanding of how everything is connected and that we can do something about it. Well, thank you. And I, I love how you describe this continuum as a loop where you have this increase in severe weather events that are driven by climate change, that are they themselves increasing the presence of carcinogens, which then drives increases in cancer, and then the care of those patients drives back into that feedback loop of increasing severe weather events. But then, you encouraged us to really maybe not put the brakes on that, but at least think about ways that we could at all different levels interact in that loop and that system and participate and and try to slow down 
some of these some of these really challenging events. So I think it's a really positive slant that you put on a really challenging um, situation. So thank you. We're really grateful for the work you do. Oh, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to share my work.